So community and communion. The first thing I want to say is because we're going to talk a little bit more about communion again today, but I want to talk a minute just about a community side of it because what does a community of God look like? What does God's community look like? We commonly say church. Church, not the building. Church meaning the people of, of the, the, the community. What does it look like? Well, it's a pretty easy one. This is all I'm going to say about community because I want to focus more on communion because it is by far the most important thing. We spend more time organizing our communities than we do organizing communion. God's community looks exactly the opposite of everything else. Just go look up something. I mean, just this is the one time I authorize you to Google things, okay? Like, <laughs> go Google a community and what they're founded upon and then just reverse it and the odds are you end up something closer to how God intends it. Let me give you a few examples. I wrote these down, okay? It's almost the opposite in every way. Every community has this hierarchical structure that says the most important people are at the top. And how does Jesus say his community works? The most important people are the servers at the bottom. Exactly the reverse. Other communities, because I live in an HOA, and guys, HOAs are the devil. I grew up on acreage, which meant if I wanted to go do something, I just did it. Like, I didn't even ask, I didn't ask anybody. And we were getting ready to do something in our backyard, and my wife's like, we got to draw the plans and submit it to the HOA. I'm like, it's my backyard. Do what I want. <laughs> Isn't that how we treat our communities? It's my church. I do It ain't ours. But I live in an HOA, and I can get kicked out of my HOA by not paying my dues and by, you know, like, I don't know, probably working on cars in my driveway. There's some really dumb rules. Putting the wrong kind of fence up, whatever, right? Who lives in an HOA? Let's all rebel against the system. <laughs> but what, what, what does that type of community do? They say, if you break the rules, you're exiled. How does God's community say, you break the rules, we're going to come find you and help you make your way back to So it's reversed. God's community is centered around an idea of one common unity that derives all other decisions, not just the ones that have to do with our specific community. This is one of the dumbest ideas that I've ever heard of, like my church friends and then my work friends. What are you doing? You're separating out people based off of what you have in common with them. And the last thing I remember is in Acts chapter 2, it says they had all things in common. So there's one little uh, hint to find out if we are God's church or not, and His community or not, is if the only thing we have in common with them is where we choose to drive to to have communion on a Sunday morning. Now again, when I just said have communion on a Sunday morning, y'all all just thought about eating some bread and drinking some juice. That is the physical representation of something vastly more important. Okay. One of the other things is this right here. God's community is a deep relational community. This is why you can't have church friends if it's God's community because they are just going to be the people you do life with. Every other community is a superficial relationship. This isn't even in my notes, but I'm just doing it. You ever been to a, a, a game, like a, a sports game? Uh, we went to a Rangers game uh, last year. And all of these people, 
rejoicing together, doing things. They, they acted like they knew each other. And yet there is more camaraderie and more unity in that game than we can have in one. We ain't even got the whole team together. This would be fun. Split personality disorder church. That's what we have. <laughs> and if we need more information, we just look at the book of Acts. It paints us a picture. It's just story after story after story after story of what God's community looks like. And I am going to say, this is not, is everybody cool? With me? I'm just having some fun before I, I, God hits you with the same sledgehammer he hit me with, okay? Y'all are like, uh-oh. I, I just had fun with this, so hear me clearly. Everybody's listening. Say, I'm listening. Okay. Acts is a story of what God's community looks like. What the, a brief picture of what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth, because that is the idea. So for all of you that are trying to hurry up and get out of here, you're kind of missing the point. And in the book of Acts, you'll actually see something really, really scary. You're like, scary in the book of Acts? No, scary when you look at our world, because everything our world is trying to do that we all tend to, I say we all, but as a whole, the Christian community, the church, tends to push and tends to, to, to demonize and tends to go against, is actually the world attempting to do the kingdom of God. Let me give you an example. Are y'all ready for this? Y'all are not ready. I'm going to hit two super hot topics right now. I'll hit communism, number one. Listen to the general view of what communism is. I, this is not in my notes. This is just to help you guys understand the glory of God and how man is screaming to have his community, but we're failing the, the world. We just need to take responsibility for it and say, yep, that's me. I'm more concerned with being in the world and of it than just in it and not of it. Okay, so communism's general idea is that all people should be equal. Now, it does not work. I'm not d debating that. I've read Communist Manifesto. I've had my kids read it, so they are exposed to this. I'm not getting political if y'all thinking that. I never am political. Y'all know that. But what is it? It's this idea that all people should be taken care of. So give everything to one individual or one group of individuals, and we'll dole it out properly, and everybody will be taken care of, and it will be utopia. Isn't that the general idea? Yes. It doesn't work because we're all wicked, messed up, twisted human beings. However, when you look in the book of Acts, that's exactly what they did. Everybody, except for two people, and they died. Uh, every, that's Ananias and Sapphira. Read about it, okay? Everybody sold everything they had and just said, we are so committed to the gospel and to seeing God's kingdom come here. I don't need anything. And then it all worked out. The second man got involved, which as you keep reading, it just ends up in death, chaos, and destruction, which by definition is what happened in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth were without form and void. That term means death, chaos, destruction, which is exactly what we introduce back into the world when we quit doing it God's way, his kingdom and his community on earth. That's number one. That, sh that should be, we should look at that. That concept, this idea, isn't it everywhere? Look anywhere. It's all about inclusion, everything. What? That's their saying. There's something that is missing. And by golly, I'm going to make it right. But we can't. And the church sits back and says, <laughs> Now a Star Wars line came to my head. So. <laughs> Anybody watch Star Wars know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't like using specific examples, and I never, most of the time, y'all can all attest, I, I typically don't. But I feel the need to do that this morning. Let's look at this next one, this whole I identify as idea. Do you know that that idea is not a new idea? That is in Scripture. Everywhere. It says identify as Christ. It says your identity is not tied into any of this. It's in the spirit, and it is in through the person of Christ shows you your identity and what you're supposed to be. So what is our world saying? <laughs> They're looking in the mirror every day and saying, this is not right. There's something wrong here. And they're right. Just like you are right. But what they don't understand, because we are all so naturally minded, and because God's community is not his community, his community is actually just another community that's so naturally focused. When they do that, we don't know how to actually help them to the spirit. We just introduce them to more natural ideas. And then blanket it with religion and call it God. This should show us where we need to head. That's why the, the series, I didn't even catch it. I don't know if y'all did. But the whole series that God had us on before this was losing your mind and gaining the mind of Christ. Why? When you become Christ, you begin to move. Now, what y'all just said is, I didn't say you were Jesus. I said Christ, the anointing that was on him. Y'all are, I told y'all, they weren't ready, Sonia. I even said it all traditional so y'all would be more comfortable. Actually, it made you more uncomfortable, didn't it? If y'all are warning this had any purpose, it didn't. We just did this because we wanted to. It was actually a cheating way not to have set everything back up after yesterday. (laughs) Now, because what I have to share with you is basically just reading some scripture and talking about it. The last two weeks have kind of been part one, part two, and this is kind of part three, where we talked about the table. We talked about this concept of the table. We talked about the seats at the table. We talked about, hey, yes, you are brought to the table to be healed and made whole and to be served, yes, but there comes a time in which you are supposed to get up and move down the table to provide room for the next. Y'all remember all this? And we realized that it was because we don't handle our hurt and our healing properly. And then this, to me, this was the phrase that stuck out last week was, the disciples didn't quit on Jesus because of Judas. And we quit on the gospel and on the glory of God because we get hurt by someone in our community beside us. And that's not what I see in his community. Nor do I see pandering in his community where it's just like, oh, well, we just won't talk about that. And no. Sometimes it was done in this, in this really intense, heartfelt way to bring people back. And Jesus gives us that example with the Good Samaritan. And other times you got Peter and Paul like duking it out with their theology and calling each other hypocrites. Y'all didn't know that actually happened in the Bible? Yeah. Peter and Paul. <laughs> and Paul's like, Peter, you're a hypocrite. And Peter's like, well. You're right. I need to fix that, you know. God's community deals with things and and, and moves forward with things. And we understand that we can't quit on the gospel because of hurts and pains. And we have to learn how to deal with them properly. So there's your whole recap catch-up. And I think I do want to do it this way. I'm going to make some phrases that you've probably heard or said a thousand times. But I want you to put on your spiritual thinking caps. Okay. 
and hear these spiritually speaking. I believe that God communicates to us in this way. I believe he takes things in the natural that we look and that we see and that we observe and uses them to illustrate things that are spiritual. Right? Otherwise, why did, why did Jesus use parables? They're stories that people understood to where he could get a spiritual point across. So I believe it's like that in our lives more often than not. More often than not, I believe we can observe things we do say, and we can actually say, oh, that's kind of how it is in my, my, my spirit. So I want you to understand that, because this is all about communion. So we're shifting gears now. Now, I kind of got you wrapped around what his community looks like and how our role is supposed to be. I kind of did a little recap of the table idea. If you need the details on that, go back and listen to the last two weeks. But now let's really hone in on this idea of communion and where the current. Again, I am not saying anything about, oh, we got it together and, and these other parts of the body of Christ don't. No. We are all one body. So we're, we're, we're speaking to us. We're not trying to remove two befores out of others. We're trying to, to get rid of uh, the two befores or the, the entire structures that are made in us. Does that make sense? So I want to say these phrases. I want you to think of this spiritually. Most of you are going to say something like this after the end, depending on how long I talk. I don't care what we eat. I'm just hungry. Who has said that at least once a week? <laughs> but I want you to hear that spiritually. I don't care what I eat. I don't care what communion. I'm just hungry. How about this when you go to a restaurant? And uh, this is not true anymore, but this used to be true. You know, the food's not that great. But the service is good. The joke is you can't get anybody to work anywhere. So, okay. right, who said that? I have recommended restaurants to people because, like, you know, the food, it's not the greatest food, but you can get in and get out. We have Old Faithfuls on Sunday because eating out after a Sunday is impossible. But I have found, and I'm not going to tell you the locations because then you'll go there, and then I can't go there and get in and get out. And inevitably, over the last several weeks even, my wife and I are like, where are we going to go? And we've actually went to restaurants that are like two-hour wait. And I'm like, oh, crockpots. Why didn't we think of that? And I, and I look at my wife, and, I, and she knows exactly what I'm about to say. Well, you know we could go to. And, she, and she does, she's not a huge fan of this place. And here's the answer. Well, the food's not the greatest. But the service is good. Again, y'all aren't thinking about Y'all are still thinking about what restaurant is he talking about that I can get in and get out of. No. <laughs> think about that. The com- <clears throat> we think this way spiritually, whether you want to admit it or not, but I'm going to help you admit it. The communion isn't so great, but the service, what do we call Sunday morning? Services. But the service is good. It hits those right notes. Gives me my two fast songs to let me finish drinking up my coffee. Gets me my slow song that gets me a little emotional. Gets me that last slow song with a touch of tears. The service is good. Oh, how about this one? I'll eat anything as long as it's quick. I said that yesterday like five times. (laughs) 
I'll eat anything. I will commune and consume anything as long as you can get it to me quick. And this is one I hear my wife say a lot to my daughter, actually, more often than not, because she's got a sweet tooth. That's not a meal. That's junk. Now, I say all these statements back to back because I'm about to read some scripture to you and talk about this communion because this is the state of us. We'll eat anything as long as it's quick. If you can get me in, on, in at nine and out on time, I'm good. If you can put it in a 10-minute podcast, well, 10 minutes, let's do five because I got my murder mystery thing that's an hour. Now, again, I am not condemning. I'm putting myself right there beside you guys. I listen to all kinds of other things, and then when I go, and I'm like, can I just fast forward? I don't care about that. Like, I I get the scripture. Like, just give me the main point of what you're trying to say, and I'll tell you if I agree or not with it. We'll consume spiritually anything as long as it's just quick, and you just get it to us. We'll call it a meal, but it's just junk food. There's no sustenance to it. Paul puts it this way. He says, it's milk. It's not meat. It's, it, it's meant to sustain a baby. And you're supposed to be a growing spiritual individual. Steph gave this to me, so I can't take this, this credit on this. We were talking about this yesterday as we were setting this up, and she said, look at the prodigal son. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What was he eating? Junk. He was out there with the pig, just, just feeding himself junk. And when the junk didn't satisfy, that's when he came to himself. That was the bottom for the prodigal son. It wasn't the bottom when he was out of money and had to go back to work. It wasn't the bottom when he was lonely. It was the bottom when what he was feeding upon did not satisfy. Some of us maybe haven't reached bottom because we're satisfied with our own desires. And we're going to read some scripture that has, tells us about that. 2 Timothy 4 is a, we're going to read this, this whole chapter. I'm just going to kind of read it to you together. And then we'll break it apart. Y'all know I get excited after about three or four words. But I'm going to do my best to actually just read the chapter with no commentary. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. It's a short chapter. It's about uh, eight verses here. It says, I charge you. Uh, by the way, real quick, this is Timothy writing. If you're not aware, that's why it's called 2 Timothy. Just a little hint how to understand sometimes who's right, and if it's their name, the odds are that's who it is. So he says this, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete Patience and teaching. For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, 
but having itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. For I am ready, being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, there's a lot in here, guys, and I am not going to be able to touch on all of it. There's one thing I want to do just to go ahead and mess up your theology. The appearing in his kingdom that he's referring to is not future tense. He is not referring to Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom of some pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. His referring is present. That's big. It's a big understanding of what he's saying. And it's wrapped up and understood fully in the end when he says his fourth, because Timothy's telling him, like, I'm about to die. Like, that's what he's telling him. Like, my time has now come. That's, that's a, a very nice way of saying, I'm, I'm about to die. I ain't going to be here anymore. And when I die, he's basically saying, I am dying knowing that I am in right standing because I have done the work that God has asked me to do. He didn't say he did it perfectly. He just said, I have stayed faithful in this. And I am cool with it. And he says, hey, this will be unto me. But he says, not just unto me. So again, just real quick, this is just for all of you mystical people of Scripture. There is no literal thing of a crown you're going to get. This is figurative language. Okay? And then on top of that, more Scriptures say, and when you get it, you're supposed to lay it down. So if you think it's something for you to hoard, you're already missing the point too. But moreover than that, he says, it ain't something special. This is to everyone who has done this. And but, but what is not only to me, but all who have what? This is how he wraps it up. Who have loved his appearing. And that's how he wraps it up to understand that the appearing of his kingdom and things is not talking about later on. It's talking about something that has happened and is currently happening. Because that's what that word actually means in the Greek when it says his appearing. His appearing means a constant, if we can think of it this way, a state of flux of appearing and then coming back. And then appearing again and then coming back. Guys, what he's referring to is what you see in the book of Acts where about every other four verses, it says, and they were all together in one mind and one accord. It says something to this effect. And then it says, when they had these things in common, it says, and the Spirit of God filled them. It says, they were filled with the Spirit of God. They went off and touched the gospel. That's fun. And taught the gospel. And then it says, what happens next? Now a different group with one of those people from that group got together. And then when that came, and then the Spirit appeared. That's what he's referring to right here. And he's saying, that's what we're supposed to love. 
That's what we're supposed to desire, is to see the Spirit of God appear in our lives and in those around us. But do you want to know why we don't really want that all that much? Because the second he does, he will correct. Can I give you a quick example? I'm going to. Peter didn't really fully understand Jesus, like ever, as do any of us. Peter always had it about maybe 50% right. But yet, this is the guy that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this dude. Now, what did Peter? Peter didn't fully understand Jesus when he said it was for the Gentiles as well. If you're unfamiliar with what it is, it's a Gentile or, or, or Jew, basically, meaning the way that the Jewish people thought and still kind of do think, and some of you crazies think, is that there's anything special about the physical lineage of Judaism, Jewish people. I know. I'm sorry about all your end times, whatever. I can prove it to you if you want to take all day, and I will after when we dismiss. If you're like, I don't believe you, Jared, let's do it. I ain't got nothing but time. One of the ways we know this is actually the story of Peter. When he's not fully convinced that it is, he thinks it is for the Jewish people, meaning of their direct, actual lineage, their culture and their people. And you're like, but Jesus says specifically, I know, they never get it. And what happens is he's with a bunch of Gentiles. And while he is there, the Spirit is poured out upon them. Some of them begin to prophesy. Women at that, yeah. All the, it just starts messing up everything about it. And Peter literally, the, the recording of what he says is, if, if I can put it in our lingo, can I, can I just say it the way we say it is? Well, crap. It is for everybody. He's like, they can, and this, this is how he says it, if you want it a little bit more, you know, King James, he says, that they can be filled with the Spirit as where we were in the days of the beginning. It's a really easy way of saying, whoa. It works the exact same for them as it does for me, which means I'm not all so special. But we don't like that. This appearing thing is important because it's talking about when the Spirit of God becomes right. Pray do tell how the Spirit of God becomes present. Well, he's ever present. So what's the difference in his appearing? Y'all hadn't thought about that, right? Everybody raise your hand if God is all-powerful. Keep your hand raised if you also believe that he is omniscient, meaning he knows. And he's omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at yet, everywhere at all times and yet nowhere. You ever notice that? It's crazy. So if those things are true, what does it mean of his appearing? If he's always present, see, we think of it like that, like, we think of it like the Spirit of God is fixed at Felix Jr. And he's running around with his little hammer. I can fix it. Tink, 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 tink. Okay, y'all are good. I'm going to go over here and fix this. Tink, 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 tink. And the devil is wreck it, Ralph. Oh, I'm going to wreck it. And he's breaking things. And God's just running around trying to fix what, what you and the devil cooperatively together created. <laughs> this, is, this is a very, very bad idea. But yet we laugh at it. But if we really stepped back and looked at how we think of the Spirit of God appearing in things, that's how we think of it. 
And again, I'm not bashing because I love some of these songs, but we even sing songs about like, Spirit of God, come. He's already here. Idiot. Like we, we, he's just standing there like, hello. So what is the difference in his appearing? His appearing is, if you can imagine the table idea again, we stopped having these conversations and said, shh, like we talked about last week and said, let's listen to his conversation. We stopped looking at ourselves in these stories and they stopped looking at their situations, their hurts, their pains, their stories, everything about them. They stopped having their conversation and said, it's all about him. And when that happened, communion happened. The spirit of God came and said, now you're going to let me speak now. Because I can share my story much better. All I needed you to do was introduce me. Now get out the way. But we can't do that. We think it's our job to save people. So we've taken these ideas of we're the community of God. The spirit of God is upon us. And we're going to go preach the gospel. And we start to preach the gospel. And then we go quickly out of gospel. And we accept, God, God, I got this. I can tell him something you don't even know. That's how we act like we laugh, but that's exactly what we do. Instead of saying, let me get you to God. I'll just get out of the way. I'm going to move down the table now. It's between you two. This is what communion looks like. This is what happened when his appearing happens. And guess what? This is why we don't like it. When his appearing happens, the spotlight begins to get shine on him in the spirit of God, and you become the background. And whether we want to admit it or not, we all like a little bit of glory, a little bit of spotlight. And this is what actually got all of the opposition in trouble is trying to take a little bit of that spotlight. And what, what Timothy's trying to say here is there is a world out there right now and you're included in it that is just wanting to hear what suits them and makes them comfortable. But the appearing that we need to happen is the spirit of God. And it's not always comfortable, but when it happens, you just get out of the way and step back and then you'll be the one corrected in the process as well. See, oh, y'all thought it was gonna correct them. No, it's correcting you just like Peter. Peter was walking in the power of God. He's one of the disciples, and yet he still had some wrong ideas and understanding of God. And then whenever the Spirit of God was taking him to somewhere, to the Gentiles, he didn't just correct the Gentiles and fill them with his Spirit. He turned around to Peter and said, hey, Peter, now you see what I'm talking about? You got a little bit more. Let's commune some more. Are y'all catching this? But we want to hear and do things because we don't, we'll eat anything if it's quick. That's what that scripture is talking about. The world that is the, the things that fit our own desires and teachers and this and that. And that. Now, y'all think sometimes teachers just means like preachers and like I'm talking about me and, and all of my fellow colleagues. Isn't that an odd way to phrase it? <laughs> no, we're all teaching somebody. Let me just clear this up real quick, parents. You were teaching the same unholiness and inconsistencies that you have. When I say unholiness, you better clarify. Holy means to be set apart and dedicated. Doesn't mean you did all the right things. So your same undedicated nature to the Spirit of God, where on Sundays, and this goes to grandparents and aunts and uncles and everything, we are all teaching somebody. That same inconsistency, that same fluttering nature, that same one minute God is great and the next minute, why did he let this happen? Don't worry, I got more for you on that. But this, this is where, again, I'm talking about communion in his community. 
I know this is a very different style of teaching than I usually do. I get it. Just roll with it. This is us taking any community and any communion that will dole out what we feel is necessary. What's good? What's evil? All of this. But notice what it is that we tend to seek. Any of it that feeds us. That whole thing in Timothy was about people who what? Want what they want. Why? Because they're receiving something from it. This still shows us, like last week, you're back at the other seat of the table needing to be served instead of serving. That's, that's exactly what he described. Did y'all not catch that? I can read the whole thing again. Everything about the people, us, that he's referring to, about our, our itching ears, we're always like, they all have these itching ears. No, we're right there with him. Everything was about our consumption in it. Everything about that. I don't feel like y'all are catching that. Real quick. Right here. For the time is coming. Now is that time. People will not endure sound doctrine. I love how it says endure sound doctrine, meaning sound doctrine is typically something you don't look forward to. You grin and bear it. But having itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves. What is that? I'm the consumer. Teachers to suit their own passions. So not only am I the consumer, I get to dictate what it is that is coming. Turning away from listening to truth and wandering off into myths. Now, I want to refer some of you guys back to a session that we did about three months ago, give or take. And it was about the spirit of error. And what does error mean? Wandering. But as for you, now he's saying, hey, you church folk. You guys, the ones that are professing that Jesus and Christ has changed your life. You guys. As for you, and then he gives us a list of what we're supposed to do, which is basically the exact opposite of that. Everything that he mentions after that now is about enduring suffering <laughs> and doing the work. Man, this is not something. Fulfilling your ministry, meaning like your, like your duty that you have. Fulfilling that. To be poured out. Are y'all not seeing the, the interesting difference between these two things? You're the one being poured out, drained. You're the one doing some work. So whoever told you, being a believer, is like, oh, it gets easy and there's no work. Nope. Enduring suffering, meaning you're gonna, it's not going to be fun. Now, the interesting thing is actually it gets really fun because I'm having a lot of fun suffering looking at your faces right now. Do y'all see the difference between these two people? He's saying, this is who the world is, and this is who you're supposed to have been. Everybody say, have been. Has. So you were supposed to be. You're supposed to be a has been, okay? Has been. You were this, and now this is what you're supposed to be. And the biggest difference between the two is one is consumer-based and one is service-based. One is less concerned with themselves and more concerned with others. It's almost like there's this dude that we have like four books about that really tells us about what it means to ultimately serve other people above yourself. His name is Jesus. I'll give you the answer for the end of the test. Good job, Ryan. Bonus question. What was his last name? Not Christ. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Of Nazareth, maybe? Uh, okay. 
All right, we're just having fun, guys, okay? We can get corrected and still have fun. I mean, when my dad whipped me, it was never fun, but God's much better than my dad. Are you guys seeing this? This is vastly important because where we're about, where we're about to go. We'll take any community and any communion that feeds us instead of feeding others. You want to know why that is? We haven't done what Christ asked us to do. We're like, oh, I've been tell, I've told people about God, like that He exists, and I've told people, you know, about how He got me a brand new car. No. John twenty one was a section of text that we read last week, and I want to bridge onto it and read the next piece. So let me give you a quick recap. This is why it takes me so long uh, to talk, guys. It's because y'all don't listen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm recapping a little bit of last week, okay? So we kind of get where we're at. It's super important. The most important thing to do when you're reading scripture is to get it in context. Get it in context. No Hobby Lobby verses. It's a bad idea. No Psalms verses where we don't read the ending part that says, oh yeah, and you're going to suffer a lot in this process. Like, let's read the whole thing. First thing we need to understand, I told you this last week, I'll tell you this again. John, the gospel of John, is the latest gospel. I mean, it was written last. And John, in his gospel, it has always been historically and always will be, should be rather, looked at as a spiritual gospel. They all contain spirituality. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke intended to write story, narrative, of telling actual events that happened for historical purposes, mostly with spiritual understanding. They kind of had a little bit of a different view. John reversed it and said, I'm going to use those physical stories, but I want you to understand a whole lot about the Spirit. So his entire gospel is centered more around spiritual understandings than it is about factual events. That doesn't mean there are not factual events in there. I know, it's like, wait, two things can be true at the same time? Yes. Does that make sense, everyone? We have to understand this. How do we know this? Well, John says it so much in his gospel, first off, and he opens his gospel with a very peculiar thing. He opens his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit at the end of that because, you know, I'm not a Rolodex of information here. So. so he opens his gospel with this really supernatural idea, okay? So we see this. So now when we read this story, this is an event that happened. However, we're supposed to glean the spiritual understanding from it. And this is, this is just so cool. Uh, I, I have fun with it anyways. Let's look at John 21. So in John 21, the beginning, uh, 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 sorry, I just went to John 1. Let's read all the way through chapter 21. So this is the story. We know about half of it from Children's Church, if you've ever been to Children's Church. They have taught you about Peter, James, and John on a sailboat not catching any fish. And Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side of the water. And they caught a bunch of fish. So if you tithe, God's going to give you a bunch of fish. And that's kind of what we get out of this, which is not even anything about what this scripture is about at all. Y'all are laughing, but I've heard that taught that way. It has nothing to do with that. There's a whole lot in this. And what happens in this story, this is after Jesus' resurrection. That's important to know. So Jesus has been crucified and he has resurrected. This is his third time to appear to his disciples, according to John. 
Jesus is, this is his first time to encounter Peter, though. And Jesus, I'm not going to go into the details that we went into last week, or I'll try not to, but I do get super excited about it. Jesus is on the beach. They're, they're out, you know, fishing. And Jesus is on the beach. And he calls to them and says, have you caught anything yet? And they say, no. He says, well, the definition of insanity, folks, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So have you tried the other side? He doesn't say all that. He just says, cast your nets on the other side. Y'all are like, that's the international Jared version. He, he, he says, hey, take your nets and put it on the other side. And watch what happens. We miss it. What just happened right there? We're just like, Jesus knows where the fish are. He actually had a depth finder before they went out there and figured out where they were. We don't even think, do we? We are so dull-brained to spirituality that we just read that and don't even get it. I know I'm not beating you up. I'm beating myself up. Y'all just happen to be in the line of fire. We read it and just say, yep, so Jesus told them to do this, and they did it. No, they were doing it their way. And Jesus said, why don't you try to do it my way? Y'all didn't see that. There's your way of doing things, guys. And then there's my way of doing things, guys. And if you do it my way, it ends up better. But if you actually keep reading, again, because we don't think of this spiritually, this is a spiritual gospel. When they did it his way, all these great things happened, but it says it was so much that they were trying to get involved, and it was so much work that they, had to, they couldn't do it. So they had to drag the boat to shore. They had to quit. Y'all don't, don't understand it that way. See, because y'all just read it and said, and they caught a bunch of fish, and it was great. No, read, if you read the whole thing, it says that they were striving to get the, them into the boat, and they were dragging it up to shore. That's work, like Timothy was talking about. I'll just leave it all alone. So then Jesus is making a fire on the beach. And they do this, and they're getting ready to come to the beach. And I told you all this last week. Peter sees him. All the rest, again, Peter loves to jump out of boats. He jumps out the boat. He swims. He goes all the way there. And when he gets there, he sees Jesus by the fire. And the word used for fire here is only used two times. It's used here, and it's used earlier in John when Peter denies Jesus. And that actual word fire there, we don't get this because we don't speak Greek and you don't have the same type of language. That word fire is only used two times, that specific word. And it means like whole coals heaped up for an enemy, like to pour out on them. Like that's, that's, it's like this idea of, of, of betrayal, and, and that's why it's used, because John is trying to communicate something to you. And so Peter comes running to Jesus, but then he just kind of stops. He doesn't go for some reason. And John doesn't really tell us why. He just says, now all of a sudden, the next thing you see Peter after jumping out and going there, now, now Peter's working on the fish and not doing what Jesus said to do, which was come eat with him. And then Jesus calls to him and said, Peter, come eat. Now again, I, I broke this all down last week, so I'm just kind of going through. So Peter comes and sits down, and here's, here's where I want to pick up right here is verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, this is uh, John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of John or son of Jonas, depending on uh, which translation you're reading, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus responded and said, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, and he said unto him a second time. So now Jesus is saying it again. 
Simon, son of Jonas, or John, depending on your translation, do you love me? And he said unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But then Jesus said, Then feed my sheep. Another translation says tend, because the word feed here has a slightly different meaning, but it's basically the same thing. So look after, feed, tend to. And in verse 17, he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this to him. Now, come on, guys. If y'all know Peter, I feel like I know Peter. Peter's a hothead, a little bit like me. More like Taryn, but a little bit like me. I'm kidding. Got to get that jab in anywhere I can. It's a safe space here for me to do so. Guys, they just said they were going to take Jesus away and arrest him, and he chopped the dude's ear off. Peter's grieved nature seems to be a little bit more intense. And that's not the only thing. Peter, I mean, you read Peter. Peter, like I said, he is a loose cannon. Just, you know, he's the come and take it. He was a Texan, the first one. <laughs> so he's grieved. He's upset at Jesus right now. He is, he is mad. Like, why do you keep asking me this? I already told you the answer. And so on this third time, <laughs> this is what he said. Peter was grieved because he had said this to him a third time. Do you love me? Questioning. And he said this to him. Lord, you know everything. He's getting a little smart, Alec, here. You know that I love you. And Jesus just says to him again, feed my sheep. I find this interesting. Again, we just read it. We just read it and said, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And we're like, see, we're sheep. And then we just want to use more analogies that we don't understand about why we're called sheep. Which if you want to talk about that, we can later. But there's two things we miss. Number one is the content of what Jesus actually said. And number two, why did Jesus ask it three times? There were three times he denied before. John did this on purpose. He wrote it this way on purpose. I'm not going to go into it. Y'all just have to research it yourself. So Peter's upset and says, he gets smiling. You know everything. That's how we do it. God asks something of us. And we want to like, God, you just know everything. So because you do and I know you, I need not studyeth. Now I phrase it in a comical way so it hurts a little less. And I'm going to correct something real quick for all of us. The only prayer we're supposed to pray is to pray God's will. If we don't know God's will, we're supposed to not just say, God, let your will be done, but to say, what is it so I can be a part of it? Because if you read Jesus' kind of template of a prayer, that's what he says. Your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, I'll walk it out. Oh, and Jesus does something else kind of interesting. Y'all aren't catching all this stuff. Y'all are aware that people were pretty smart back then. You, okay, yes? Because then Jesus' next phrase is, give us this day our daily bread. But isn't it somewhere else that Jesus says, it's like when he was being tempted. He says something about man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of, mouth of God. Yes? Yes? Everything in Scripture is written for natural application and spiritual understanding. 
Jesus wasn't just saying, make sure we survive and eat, because later on, Jesus says, who cares if you eat? If you die today, it's because God willed it. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's basically what he says. So this is not just natural bread. He's saying, give us our daily, uh, every day, meditate, day and night. I should be like a tree planted. Communion. Are y'all not seeing this? The reason I'm quoting all these and jumping around is I'm trying to show you the entirety of Scripture is to show you communion with God. And there is a person that we call Jesus. Was his name actually Jesus? Maybe it was Yeshua. I don't know how to pronounce it. We're Texans. We can't even pronounce our own language right. That's irrelevant to know that this person walked it out in communion and to look at his life and understand what it did. Guys, when he did that with 12 dudes following him, Pretty dumb guys, if you read it. They're not the, he didn't go get the brightest of the brightest. He went and got fishermen. Fishermen. Their preference is to sit on a boat for hours on end doing nothing. <laughs> this is who he chose. And changed, to this day, still has changed the entire known world. Why? Communion. But see, we read through these things and we miss. And I know, I hear some of you right now, I was like, well, you're reading a lot into that text. Yes, reading a lot of spirit into it, which is the purpose of it. Okay, I'm not mad. Just, I am grieved because. <laughs> now this last time that Jesus says it, he says, then feed my sheep. Look, guys, 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 look. What is he telling him to do? Serve. Go pour out. Quit sitting at the table, consuming all of it. You've been with me for three and a half years, Peter. Now I need you to move. I'm going to say it. Some of us have been believers for decades, and we're still just trying to consume all that God has for me. And God's like, dead it. Get out of here do something you lazy couch potato but now just eat anything as long as it's quick now I want to read this last little bit y'all cool okay cool, cool John 21 18 this is right after that third time that Jesus says then feed then go do my work why is Jesus saying this? Because Jesus is saying, I'm about to ascend and go, so I need to make sure you know. Go do my work. Don't, <laughs> don't go sit and wait for me. Go do my work. Okay. And then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you. This is a very kind of eloquent way of saying this is the truth, like 100%. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll be stretched out your hands, and others will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, most we read this and say, he's going to have to suffer for the Lord. No, this is actually Jesus saying, hey, Peter, you're going to die on a cross too, bro. This is Jesus actually prophesying to Peter directly, saying, you're going to die the same way I did. You're going to die on a cross. That's what that actually means. Stretch out your hands, clothe you. If you look at the historical facts of what happened. And Peter knows this. We don't because we're dumb. But Peter knew what he was trying to say. And this is what happens next. 
And he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God with. You notice that's in parentheses? Most Bibles, it should be anyways, because that's added in later. That was added in right there in most translations because they're like, man, these people are not getting it. Let me tell them what this means. This means that he, this is how he's going to die. But what it says is, after this, he said unto me, follow me. Keep reading, verse 20. And Peter turned and saw the disciples whom Jesus loved and, follow, and following them, the ones who had also leaned back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So he's basically what they're just trying to do is paint the picture that they're sitting around this fire, if you can imagine it, and, and, and Jesus has ticked off Peter <laughs> about loving him. And Peter's like, you know I do. And Jesus is like, then go do my work. Go do my work. Go do my work. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, in doing my work, it's going to bring about your death. And I can tell you firsthand experience, crucifixion is no fun. But follow me anyways. Do it anyways. Y'all catching this? And so then Peter, like all of us, he starts looking around and being like, I hope these other suckers get something too. That's what he's doing. He says he begins to look at all the ones that were at the table with him. And he says, Lord. They, they all, they were the ones saying, Lord, who's going to betray you? And then Peter says, Lord, what about these men? Go ahead, tell, tell me. What's going to happen to them? And Jesus said, If it is my will that they remain until I come, what does it mean to you? You follow me. I know that seems pretty right there, but this just needs to settle for us for a minute, a good hot minute. Peter does like all of us in a community and begins to put, take his eyes off communion with Jesus. Are y'all not seeing this? Y'all are not. I'm going to help you, though. Do I need, I need to get a little bit of hacking going on, Ariel. He stops looking and communing with Jesus, and he begins to look at his community and wondering what's going to happen to the community, though. What about them? Are they going to follow you? And it's the same thing. Are they going to get it? Is, are they going to have to suffer as much as I'm going to have to suffer, Jesus? They better, it, because I am the rock on which you will build your church, and, and, and they're just the pebble. <laughs> he wants to know. Y'all not seeing this? This is exactly how we would be. Tell the truth, shame the devil. We would sit there and stop the communion process and begin to say community and begin to say, well, what's going to happen to them? And I wonder, oh, well, they're going through a rough time. They must have disobeyed God. Or, oh, they're going through a rough time. They must be serving the Lord good. And we start trying to figure out, God, tell us what's going to happen to them. And Jesus turns to him and says, what? If I say they're going to live out the entirety until I come back, which, by the way, Peter didn't know when that was. He says, if, if your job is to die horrifically for me and theirs is to live gloriously for me, what is it to you? You follow me. You do what I told you to do. We don't want to let that settle for a minute, do we? we won't, yeah, this is one of those times I said at the beginning where you're like, change the subject, keep moving on, read the next verse. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say it. Y'all with me, Yes. How often in our communion do we shift the conversation and focus and all we end up doing is talking and wondering and worrying about what's happening within the people of the community? 
qualifying statement here. Okay, what I mean by that is, I just have to say this because some of y'all are going to run off the deep end. Y'all are going to pull a Peter, go chop somebody's ear off because you're mad at me. I am not saying when I'm about to say this statement, hear me clearly, this is not condemnation, this is the Spirit of God. I am not saying community doesn't matter. I am not saying it's vastly important. I am not saying that conversations together are not good if they are God conversations. We pray for about 15 to 30 seconds and can sit and conversate around the topic of God in our lives for hours. All right, I said that a little, little too easy. We walk into this very place and can communicate to each other and talk about our lives and our stories and our this and our work and our whatevers and pray for all of 60 seconds. I turned around because I didn't want to see your frown. Again, keep it, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with conversations. I already told you that his community's deep relationship. But that deep relationship is not founded in any common ground other than the common ground of communion. And when that is our driving force, the things that need to be discussed will be discussed briefly and healed quickly. Okay, I'll leave it alone. So he says, what is it to you? You follow me. You do what I told you to do. Regardless of how many people come and go. This, this is, can I share a little story? I'm going to share my story now. No, it's not really. This is just something I think about all the time. Every time I have to get up here and say things like this that doesn't preach well, uh, and probably not, the, I don't say it the right ways, and I make jokes when I'm probably not supposed to, or whatever like that, I actually worry about this. I'm like, God, but you're telling me to do. I'm not going to reach anybody except for my three children, and that's because I make them show up with me. Because I'm going to tick everybody off. And he says, what is it to you? Do what I told you to do. Say what I tell you to say. And if you suffer all the whole time for it, and someone else gets to live high on the hog for it, and they're following my will, don't put your mouth on them because they're doing what I told them to do. Shut up and do what I told you to do. Quit having other conversations at my communion table. It's not your table, it's his. Okay, that was for me. Verse 23, y'all good? We're, just, we're almost done here, sort of. I got like eight more chapters to go. <laughs> so the saying was spread abroad. So now this is John saying, here's what happened after all that. This is important to know because this also shows us something. It says, so the saying was spread abroad among the brothers that the disciples was not to die. Yet did Jesus not say to him, he was not to die, but if it's my will that they remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciples. The disciple who is bearing the witness of these things and who has written these things down. We know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also so many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Basically saying, if I tried to tell you every single thing that Jesus did, said, I, I couldn't. 
It's impossible. The, the world could not contain it. Now, again, this is not, this is figurative, hyperbolic language. He is not saying, let's cut down every tree and print every word, like stenographer style. It's not what he's saying. What he's trying to say is the world itself could not contain the glory of God. Thus, that's why he created it and it exists outside of it. He's saying, there's so many other things that I wish to tell you, I want to tell you, but I can't because there's just too much. But this is the most important pieces. Now, one of the things I want to point out is right here. So it was this saying was spread abroad. What happened was people went and said the exact opposite of what Jesus said. <laughs> Isn't that like us? Jesus didn't say you're not going to die. He said, if it's my will that you don't, what does it matter? And that got quickly twisted and turned into them going around saying, the disciples are never going to die until Jesus returns. That's what that's saying, if you're not aware of that. It's saying, so the, spread, uh, the saying was spread abroad, and when he says the disciples who bearing this witness wrote these things down, and we know his testimony to be true, that whole thing, that's a really, really eloquent way of saying, this dude told us the truth, this is what was actually said, and this is what you idiots are running around with saying. Because remember, his gospel was written later. So people were already running around saying things, and John wrote it to clear up some spiritual understanding of things. Which shows us some more. Think about this. Just come on, thinking caps, just a little while longer, and then, then you can go just veg out for the rest of the day and whatever. Well, if God tells you, but it ain't nothing to me. How quickly? That means what was their conversation around? I feel like that emoji. They're like whacking themselves in the face. Their conversation obviously was not around anything about what Jesus was actually trying to communicate, just the few words that he said. They couldn't even get those right, and they were more worried about what's going to happen to the disciples. Their conversation was about if the disciples were going to die. How many sentences in the entire chapter I just read was really about anything about what the other disciples were, or die or live? That wasn't even the purpose of the story. That was because of Peter's dumb question. Y'all are not catching where I'm going with this, are you? The absorbent amount of information was the amount of information about Peter, about how they began to do it Jesus' way. Then when they came up, Jesus began to commune with them right there, began to give them some information about the future so they were prepared for it, so they knew, understand, and were ready to do the work that he asked them. And all he kept saying was, do my work, do my work, do my work. And what we walked away with was, it was, they're not going to die. We will live, thus saith the Lord. And they got, they got a really good preaching message out of it but not the actual content of what Jesus was trying to say is go to work. Now, this has nothing to do with our current cl climate state of economy about going to work. This has to do with you spiritually. We have been on a spiritual hiatus for centuries. The Spirit of God is drawing us saying, commune with me, I'll tell you, but go to work. That's what his communion drives. Just real quick, I just want to share a couple other things. Y'all following me? I know y'all are like, well, you're just kind of making the same point in 50 different ways. Yes, because I make the one point and this person gets it. And then I make the next point and that person gets it. And because if we get nothing else other than go to work with God's communion, do you need more than that? <laughs> oh, Jeremy. <laughs> that was good. We'll have a conversation after class, sir. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But guys, just real quick, 
I know, I usually talk like 30 minutes, and I'm like, this is like an hour and 20 right now, guys. We have been eating spiritual junk for so long. We are so unhealthy spiritually. We don't even know how to separate the things that are God and aren't God. We haven't communed with him enough to even know what he serves, what purpose he serves. We don't know. And so when we hear something, we just latch on to it. I'm talking to the church here, okay? This is not a message for Facebook, okay? This is to, the, to people who are believers. We must, 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 must be careful that the communion that we take is only his communion. And don't begin to partake of something else that others will serve us. Now, that does not mean that we don't listen to guidance that people that God has placed in our lives as, as, as helps together. Y'all understand that, right? Like, that's, that's what, but, but we just hear some crazy, ludicrous, whatever idea that's founded scripturally or something. And we latch onto it as if it's the truth of God. Never vetting it, never taking it to God and saying, God, is, I, I, I just, I really don't know. And I don't want to be the one who determines what's good and bad. I'd really rather you speak it to me. Go to him with it directly. And he may direct you to someone else to clear it up. That happens. That happens for me. I know a lot. But the interesting thing is, is when I go to him with it, before I go seek someone out, someone's coming and saying something to me. I'm like, whoa, did you just, did you hack my account and read my notes? Okay. Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus says he's, in, he's being tempta- tempted, temptationed. He's being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Okay, this is the account. That's, that's what happens in Matthew chapter 4. And he is tempted to eat during this time of fasting. And when he's tempted to eat, Scripture gives it to us that he responds and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where does the word proceed from? The mouth of God. How are you going to hear the words in the mouth of God if you are not in communion with him? Now, some of you don't know that Jesus did not make that up off the spot. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. Jesus did that a whole lot, a whole, whole lot. And what he's actually quoting right here is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, if you want to hear it. Um, and, that, and it's the exact same phrasing, even in Greek and Hebrew. It's, 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 it, they recorded it to be almost identical to make sure that you knew, as the reader later on, that what Jesus was saying is, I'm going back and I'm claiming that. that that's, that's what I'm saying. This is a spiritual thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is when the children of Israel, this is the time frame that this is referring to and written in, is when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Y'all are seeing a similarity here. Y'all did not know that the entire Bible was, was like one picture. And, and we, just, we just go up here and just look at one little thing and say, isn't that a beautiful, is that blue or purple? But we'll just call it blue. Uh, you know, color. And God's like, man, I've painted this entire tapestry. If you just look at it, it's, it's not all that complex. So it's pretty simple. And he quotes from it, there's 40 years in the wilderness. And during this time, it says, man shall not live by bread alone. And this whole thing about the wilderness is saying that there is a, there's a, a way out of this thing, but it's going to cost. And Jesus says, that's the path I choose.
this is the phrasing, and I know this, but this is the phrase. I, I, this is the statement. I put it in all bold in my notes to make sure I didn't skip over it because I, I, I kind of just, I'm a loose cannon sometimes. But I knew this was, this was the phrasing, and I want you to just think about this for a minute. We are too much like little baby birds feeding on regurgitated information. If y'all don't know anything, the mother like kind of chews it up so the baby bird can kind of, yeah. We are just, we are, <laughs> right, sorry, just another scripture. This will be, this will be for all you scholars of the, of the group. <laughs> don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Uh, but then I think about what do dogs do when they throw up? They eat it again. And that's what, we are just regurgitating information over and over. I mean, never actually got it from the mouth of God. We just heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else. And we're getting so, we haven't moved down the table because we're trying to make room for someone else. We've moved down the table because it's too uncomfortable down there. And we're just setting up our own table down here. (laughs) We like want to go to communion with God like we do restaurants and say, hey, we can split tables. It's cool. (laughs) And I'll sit at the kids' table. Hebrews 5, chapter 5, verse 12 says it this way. It says, you who should be the teachers, now you still have need of the teacher. What is this trying to say? Do the work. Grow up. Move over. Let someone else in. In John chapter 6, it says it this way. And this is kind of where I want to wrap up this idea. And I love the phrasing of it. It says, this is in verse 63. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. And I love this phrase. The flesh is no help at all. <laughs> Just, it does not help one bit. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We can't feed his sheep because we're too spirit. We can't f- we can't serve because we're too weak ourselves because we have been just gorging ourselves on junk food. Whatever just is easy and whatever just pumps me enough to get through a week because we have Sunday mornings the pinnacle of our communion and it is not. This time together is not the pinnacle or should not be the pinnacle of your spiritual experience. This is simply the proving ground to get maybe some more information, to understand it a little better, to get trained a little bit more, to get together and sometimes maybe encourage each other because maybe you have been suffering a little bit and you're like, I know, and I, but I'm going to keep And maybe God does bring someone to encourage you. Yes, that's all a part of his community. So I'm not degrading that. But when it comes to communion, this is the lesser piece of your spiritual communion. And if this is your communion, all you're going to get out of it, just, it's carbs. <laughs> it just gives you a burst of energy for a minute, but there's no sustaining substance. You can't build muscle with it. You can't do the work that's needing to be done. Now, some of you, I just heard some of you in your head right now thinking, so is Jared saying he just gives us fluff? No, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is for the global body. Everything that comes in this place is to say, hey, everybody, that's the direction. Remember, sin is to miss the mark. That's where we're headed. Don't miss it. Let's go to work. And we, we build each other up. And this is the place where when you, <laughs> okay, I'm, I am going to say it because I'm talking to church and then I'll shut up, I promise. Because this is the place that when you have actually evangelized, 
Okay, true evangelism, meaning you have shared the gospel out of the way. The spirit of God hit somebody like it did in the book of Acts. And then they say, where do I, like how, whoa, where did you go? And you're like, oh yeah, like you could just go. Uh, with, with me, this is where I kind of this is where I kind of go to help 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 me understand and learn things. But man, I'll tell you, here's where I go. I go to God primarily. Your answer will not be, "Hey, you should come to church with me on Sunday." And I go, "I'm going to go to church with you on Sunday." Like, like you should go. It's it's good to, to good to go. And then you come around to the pastor and say, "Hey, so uh, my friend's coming this Sunday, and uh, it'd be really good if you gave an altar call at the end." <laughs> now y'all laugh. Fortunately, none of you have done it, but uh, that has happened, and I have had that happen to myself. I've heard my dad. What is this? This is saying, I ain't doing the work. You do the work. And we've turned the very thing God intended to be for his people. Now, again, hear me clearly. Into the place that we bring other people, and we set them down, and we say, we didn't do our work, and we're saying, someone please do the work I was supposed to do. Y'all are seeing that? The church is not intended for the unbeliever. That doesn't mean they're not welcome here. That's not what I said, you ruthless, mean people. It's not what I said. I said it was not created for that. It was created for the believer to continue in their work, and you were supposed to go out to the unbelievers. And then when they become believers, you share this place. If you keep bringing... Corinthians says it over and over. It says all these spiritual gifts that are supposed to be active in... Oh, I am going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here for a minute. All the spiritual gifts that are supposed to be active in the body of Christ in his church. Where is it supposed to be active? In his church, in his people. Where did most of these things happen? All of the stories you hear in the book of Acts about the Spirit of God, all these crazy things happening. Where did most of them happen? They happened within the believers. But what happened is we said, oh, that doesn't, they don't understand. Yeah, Corinthians says they won't understand. It doesn't say don't have them. It says, be aware of where you are when these things are happening, because when my spirit falls in that way, it needs to bring understanding so you can go out and get them and bring them into my communion and understanding. But what we've done as the church is a reverse of that. What we've done is say, well, put those things down and let them come, because it's easier for me because I can live my life. This is why we don't see the church of Acts. I'm not mad at you. Hey, I'm, I'm implicit in this. Just as much. We all are. But if we look, I've heard it my whole life. Who has ever heard something about, why don't we see the miracles of the book of Acts? Like, who's ever even thought that? Like, I'm reading this stuff, and this is just not what I see in the church at all. Why? There's no communion. And we've turned his communion into a kegger. Like, we're just straight up. It's a party for everyone. And God's like, sort of. But you're getting it out like there's kind of an RSVP thing here. If y'all aren't catching what I'm saying, I'm just trying to clarify the purpose of the church and your role in communion in your daily life. That's what derives the church to become the church it's supposed to be, like it was in the book of Acts. And that's what causes people to become believers out there in the world and become no longer of it. And God is saying, I need to reclaim my church. And the way I'm going to do that is reclaim my communion. And his communion is individual. Don't come to me with it. It ain't my communion. That's yours. Don't go to your fellow brother and sister in Christ with it. You go to God with it directly. If you do not, you are completely diminishing the purpose of Jesus. You might as well not even have him. 
You don't need him. If that's your view, you don't need Jesus. You don't need anything that's written in the entire New or Old Testament, really. You can just make up whatever the heck you want. But when it's his communion, because that is the purpose of Christ. And at his appearing, I love how, how Timothy said it, who love his appearing. Now that word love, y'all think is desire, but it's not. That word love there is a verb, it's an action. And it means an action to cause a betterment. I want his appearing to even be more. So every moment of every day, of every action, of every thought, of every piece of it, we're supposed to be in constant communion. Constantly. That is your witness, guys. I hate to tell you. When it says go witness to the world. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I can't. Y'all are still sitting here, so. When it says go witness to the world, and we said, okay, I'm going to print up some flyers and throw them around, and I'm going to go and say, have you heard about Jesus? Now, is that wrong to do? No, I believe God has used that and told people directly to go do that thing. But we've said, hey, we can package this thing. Let's just do it all that way. It's so easy. I'll make all the material for you, and you just go pass it out or whatever. And it's like, no, the witness is not in the words that you say. It's in the life that you now live. And when you see it in Acts, that's exactly what happened with Peter when he saw these people begin to prophesy and fill the Spirit and completely changed and different. He said, whoa, that was their witness. And he said, I bear witness to that because it happened to me. I see it happening to you. And it all starts with this fundamental understanding of communion. It's such a simple thing. It's such a simple idea, but it is the most profound and is the biggest miss, in my opinion, in the modern church. God says I'm time to re- it's time to reclaim my modern church. And get, it doesn't matter. Modern has nothing to do with the lighting. We have cool lighting. It has nothing to do with coffee, no coffee. The modern piece of it is, is to excerpt out the rough nature of the gospel and to make it palatable. But eat your greens, people. Is good for you. So let's move away from quick, just I'll eat anything. Let's move away from this, these ideas of a community centered spirituality and move to communion. And when we do that individually, that's when the church changes, that's when your life actually changes. You quit going around in the circles you're always concerned about going around in when you actually go to communion. And you may be asking yourself, self, I don't know how to go to communion. Prayer, number one. Number one is prayer. Scripture is given to you as a really great basis. But before you open that sucker, you better be communing and praying. Praying. 